You thought that hamster was going to stop, didn't you? <laughs> you didn't think he was going to keep going. How many of you, uh, how many of you thought the hamster was going to stop? How many, better question, how many of you feel like that hamster? Can I see a, a show of hands at all the campuses? Well, I wonder if you feel like that, like you're run, running frantically but never quite arriving, never getting to your destination. Every once in a while you stop and you ask yourself, what am I chasing after exactly? Where am I headed? And the fact is many of us are, are busy people, right? Like this is a busy part of the country. And it's not a bad thing to be, to be busy, to be moving fast. But we are easily caught up in this unhealthy cycle, aren't we, of chasing after things. Things that we think are going to make us happy once we get them. Maybe, maybe you're young and you're chasing after that perfect relationship. That guy or that girl that, that once, once you catch them, your life will be full of purpose and meaning and happiness and joy. Maybe you're chasing after the ideal career path. And uh, that's not a bad thing either, but, but maybe you're looking for it to fill something deep inside of you or give you a reason to wake up in the morning, a sense of purpose and direction. Maybe you're chasing after that perfect body. Maybe you're chasing after the right opportunities for your kids, getting them into, into the right schools, into the right sports clubs, into the right social circles, so that you can get them on the chase as well, that they might, like you, make their way uh, through life chasing after things like money and success and power and recognition, security and freedom. As I've been talking about this, someone once said to me, I feel like I'm running fast on a treadmill. But, but it's not just that I'm running fast on one treadmill. It's, it's like there are 12 treadmills in front of me. And they're all heading in different directions. And we're told that we better get on each one of them or we're going to miss out on something important. Something important for me or my family or people that I care about. And we find ourselves feeling very torn apart. And at the end of the day, we wonder whether all of our chasing is actually going to lead us to the satisfaction that we're hoping for. Now, to be sure, there are some who, who seem to make it, right? There are people who seem to have enough grit and determination, enough luck or financial resource, enough energy and sustainability, enough people around them to, to help them su sustain all of it. But I would suggest, for most of us, we find this chase wearying. I would suggest also that we are at a moment of existential crisis in our society. A, a time when an increasing number of people are finding themselves deeply unsettled in their spirit. And they don't quite know why. Wondering if there's any purpose in this life. Wondering if it's really worth the chase. We're actually living during a time when Anxiety is rising at an alarming rate in the life of our young people, our kids even, and our teenagers and young adults. Someone once dubbed our country the United States of Anxiety. The rash of prominent people in our world who are recently taken their own lives, people who seem to have everything that we might chase after, 
leaves us all wondering if our running will bring us the kind of satisfaction that we're hoping it might. And we often feel it ourselves. When we get the thing that we're after, sometimes we find ourselves dissatisfied. Like the joy was there for a moment, but now elusive and evasive. The fact is we can spend our whole life tirelessly chasing one thing after another like a hamster on the wheel. And in our chasing, we are confronted by this deep sense of inner restlessness. We live in a restless age. And in the face of all of this, in the face of all this restlessness and anxiety, the, the scriptures give us this confident assurance that there is a different way to live, that there is a hope for a different kind of outcome, that life with Jesus provides us with a promise of this settled peace, something the scriptures call contentment, a place where a settled confidence overcomes our worries, a place where chasing for more is overcome by a vision of the rich provision of God, a place where we can value things that really matter most, a place where all things that put us at ease are ours in rich abundance given, given to us by God himself. We hear it in the voice of Jesus. Here is an ordinary preacher who steps into a crowd of ordinary people and he speaks with unusual power and authority so many years ago. And he offers these amazing words of invitation. Here if they don't resonate with you. He says, come to me all who are weary and burdened, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your soul. That's what we're gonna be talking about for the next four weeks. Let's pray for a moment. Lord God, we invite you into our restlessness we invite you into the experience of our lives when we pursue things that we wonder might satisfy and find that they don't. Lord, we'd ask you to open our hearts and our spirits to hear the word of you that speaks to us such promise and hope. And may we receive it with great joy and gratitude. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Well, my name is Tom Van Antwerp, and I'm the pastor of the Wilmington campus. And uh, I've been given the opportunity to sort of take the lead on this series in July. And normally, uh, we, we'd like to take, a, take on a light topic in the summer, make it a little topical and, uh, and relevant. Um, but as I was rooting around in my own spirit and asking God to, uh, to, to bring to mind and to my spirit a, a topic or a, a theme for this summer, I, I kept finding this, this word contentment rising up in my spirit, in my soul. And I began to float this theme with uh, some of the other folks here on staff at Grace. And I found it interesting because everyone resonated well with contentment. Who wouldn't, right? Like, who doesn't want contentment? Um, but they felt that maybe the word contentment wasn't compelling enough for people. There were some concern about the perception that the word content, being content is what you do when you try hard and you can't get what you want, and so you lower your expectations and settle for second best, right? 
Uh, Like, consider this sentence. He'd been working hard to find a job in the tech industry. But he, after a while, he found himself content working at the dollar store, living in his parents' basement. (laughs) Now, that's not the kind of content we're getting after here. Contentment isn't a settling for less. Contentment is actually leaning in to the very thing that will bring us the greatest satisfaction of our spirit. In a recently published book on contentment, a pastor by the name of Eric Raymond, he's actually a New Englander and just starting a new ministry, a new pastorate in in Watertown. He gives this wonderful definition of contentment in his book, one that I've taken and and, uh, that we'll use as a working definition during this series. He says this about contentment. He says, contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in the providence of God. Let me read that again. Contentment is the inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in the providence of God. And the providence of God is simply another way of saying God's good and ongoing care over the world that he made and loves. Contentment is resting in that. I wonder if you've ever witnessed a person who lives with this kind of contentment sort of deeply embedded in the operating system of their life. Especially these days, it it is striking, deeply striking in its beauty and goodness. One time I was sitting with my dad on his porch in upstate New York, and I'd been thinking about the kinds of anxieties that sometimes arise in my own spirit. I was approaching midlife and knowing that there's still a lot of life ahead of me, but knowing that uh, there's quite a bit in the rearview mirror as well. Um, And uh, of course, there are a lot of doors left to open, but as anyone who is making their way through life, they know that they pass by a number of doors that, that they'll never probably revisit, that are probably sealed pretty tightly shut. Um, and uh, I, I wondered if all, how all these things get sorted out in the spirit of a person who's lived a few decades longer than I had. Uh, When we were sitting there on the back porch early one morning looking into the field, I said to him, Dad, does it ever make you anxious to think about the fact that each day you live is a larger percentage of the rest of your life than the day that you just lived prior? Now I thought, as the words came out of my mouth, what kind of question is that for a son to ask his father? And then I thought, that's true about every single one of us. And I knew my dad well enough to know that he wasn't going to be unsettled by that question. But I wanted to know how he was feeling about the days ahead. I wanted to know if he was restless about missing out on things in his life. I wanted to know if he struggled uh, wanting more, if he felt robbed of opportunities or anxious about the future. And I guess I think the reason I was asking him was because with my dad, these are safe questions to ask. My dad responded almost immediately with this transparent honesty. He said, Thomas, I never get anxious about these things. He calls me Thomas when we have these dad talks. (laughs) He said, God has been good to me all of my life. He's given me your mother, a wonderful family, friends, work to do, a home to live in, 
and he's walked with me every step along the way. Now, my dad's life hasn't been a simple one. He's a guidance counselor. My mom was a second grade teacher. They had five kids. Uh, My dad lost his mom to cancer when I was very, very young. Later, his dad to a massive heart attack. He found him in the house next door. And then as time went on with a house full of teenagers, uh, he and my mom welcomed my grandparents, my mom's parents, into our home during the years of decline for my granddad, who passed away in our home. And then it was another 25 years of care for my grandmother, who died at the age of 93, well into the early, many of the early years of my parents' retirement. Now, all of these experiences could make one consider all the things that might have been, that could have been. All the missed opportunities and cause them to focus on the hardships and the losses, the long, wearying years of care. But my dad is a person who's come to know contentment. This inward, gracious, quiet spirit that joyfully rests in the providence of God. Here's the thing. Contentment is not a life of resignation. Contentment is a beautiful life of resolution. I've seen it lived out in my dad's life. There is nothing passive about contentment. It is a chosen life of resolve. And it's a resolve towards two things. It's a resolve that leans deeply into the person of God. And it's a resolve that resists defiantly things that lure us away from what is best in life. Now, by the end of the series, we're going to get to what it means to lean deeply into the person of God. But as we begin, I'd like us for a moment to raise the flag that calls us to form a movement of resistance against the things that take us away. It's a resistance movement of the heart that I'm talking about this morning. St. Augustine, one of the world's most prolific theologians, writers, philosophers, lived in the fifth century. And he spent much of his life thinking about why most people are bereft of contentment and, and bereft of joy. And so he concluded that our our inability to be content rises out of what he calls disordered loves. Disordered loves. Just like it sounds, he suggests that our, our lives are out of order because our loves are out of order. Augustine taught that what we we are we are most fundamentally shaped not by what we believe not by what we do, not by even what we think, but we are most fundamentally shaped by what it is that we love. And the problem with our lives, he suggests, as a matter of fact, he would say the root of all of our sin is that we find ourselves loving lesser things more than we ought. These lesser things, it turns out, they make great promises to us about all kinds of, of hopes, but they just can't deliver. And when our loves get so disordered in our life, when we love lesser things more than greater things, we begin compromising our ability to actually find the satisfaction and joy, peace and contentment that we hope for. 
A job, for instance. A job is a good thing. But if you love your job more than you love your family, then your loves are out of order. And you might just ruin your family pursuing your job. Kids, video games are a fun distraction and, and, and a time of play and a means of escape, but when you love the idea of having more kills on Fortnite than any of your peers, more than you really care about really having friends, or become so engrossed in play that you lose sight of the people on the couch or in the room next to you, your parents or your siblings, then, then your loves are out of order and you might just lose the people you love in the process. Guys, a healthy body is a very good thing. But when, you love, when your love for a perfect shape or a, a, a perfect figure or a fitness goal becomes an obsession, then it makes you feel bad about yourself. It hinders your relationship with others and it keeps you thinking about yourself too much. It's a disordered love. Now, it wasn't that Augustine thought that all of these things were bad. He actually said, no, these things are good in life. I don't know about Fortnite. He didn't either, but maybe entertainment and enjoyment. But he said, all these are worthy of being loved. Work and relationships, sex and security, shelter, possessions, recognition, all of these things are gifts from God and worthy of our appreciation. But he is convinced that our hearts Love has a right order. And when we love less important things more than more important things, our lives get spinning out of control. This is the source, I believe, of our angst, our anxiety, our restlessness. Now notice this, that when Jesus offers us this hope for rest, he links it to this idea that there's a requirement that we learn from him in order to get there. He says, take my yoke upon me, upon you, and learn from me. And taking our yoke upon Jesus means that we look to him for guidance. We look to him to teach us. We look to him to show us the way. We, we are the learners. We humble ourselves. And what are the things primarily that Jesus teaches all throughout the New Testament? His two greatest commandments, the things that he boils everything down to, are this. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. His greatest commands are all about ordering our loves rightly, properly, because the disorder of our lives is caused by the disorder of our loves. And the world we live in these days is perfectly set up to, to mess this all up, to fuel our disorder. Let me show you a quick recipe for, for what disordered loving and disordered living would look like. All right, here's the recipe for disordered loving and disordered living. Number one, show us all the potential object, objects of our affection. Put them on display for us. Like create this system where we can see everything in the world that we might possibly love. Every possession that we could own, every beautiful place where we could visit, every moment of happiness that we might strive for. And of course, you know where that happens. 
It's, it's in the broad landscape of loves that are opened up before us in the palm of our hand on that little device or on the screens that we look at at home. Constantly showing you everything. Perfect cars, happy people, ideal bodies, everyone's accomplishments, the incessant scrolling bringing to view everything that we might possibly love. Now add to that, add to that big money and corporate incentive that conspires to fuel our appetites, our smaller loves. Recognize that our loves are engines that fuel whole systems and economies. Like that's an important thing for us to realize. There are industries that spend big money getting us to run after the things that they want us to run after. And I guarantee you the things that they want us to run after are not top loves, they're lower loves. They're not top things, they're lesser things. We've got an education industry, billions of dollars, health industry, food industry, hospitality industry, all begging and paying good money for our eyes to look at them and for our hearts to long after the things they're saying. On and on it goes. Big money, big industry is working overtime to fuel our wants, our hopes, our dreams. And they do a pretty good job and in the meantime, we wonder if our loves are getting disordered. Finally, push hard this narrative that we can know we deserve to have it all. That is a potent combination, folks. I believe the system is stacked against us. And I think it's killing our ability to find contentment. And we wonder why. It's because we're chasing after lesser loves and we're finding ourselves extremely weary in the process and at our worst, hopeless. The prophet Jeremiah puts our trouble this way. In speaking to the people of Israel, he said, my people have committed two sins. They have forsaken me, the spring of living water. And they have dug their own cisterns, broken cisterns that cannot hold water. And here we are standing above these broken cisterns, these deep wells, and we're throwing all kinds of things into them, desperately trying to find some satisfaction in our spirits, throwing all kinds of things in to plug the hole. And we've got this complicit system that keeps handing us things that, that they promise will do it. This one is the next thing that will plug it. And yet we find ourselves empty. What is going on? Over the years, I've grown to appreciate dystopian literature. Uh, these novels that show us a future where the world is, is falling apart. Uh, whether it's back in the 50s with... Uh, with Fahrenheit 451 or George Orwell's 1984, or more recently, The Hunger Games or Ready Player One. These stories are stories of, of systems that are set up and masses of people who are caught up in them, blindly following along, capitulating to the authority that, that is leading them and has established this such a complete and thorough and comprehensive system. Most people don't even realize uh, the way in which this thing has got them under its control. Of course, until someone opens their eyes 
or has their eyes open and sees it all for what it really is and, and, and finally refuses to play their part in the whole game. Someone who starts to name things for what they are. Like this is Winston Smith or Guy Montag or Katniss Everdeen or Wade Owen Watts. And all of a sudden it's as if they pull back the veil on reality and they start showing it to people around them. And this brave protagonist becomes part of a movement of resistance that begins small but grows, helping people to wake up to the forces around them and to fight back against the system that's holding them slave. Contentment isn't a life of resignation. Contentment is a beautiful life of resolution, one that resists defiantly those things that conspire to disorder our loves. Because there are always gonna be lesser loves that are clamoring for our fullest attention. And many loves call us in many directions and many voices are hoping that our eyes get turned in their direction. But folks, we can have the say. We are the people who have the responsibility to make important decisions, listen, important decisions about how we allow our loves to be shaped. No one's gonna do that for you. I would suggest we need to form a resistance movement that begins in our hearts, where our fists rise in defiance, saying no to all the appeals that are being made on our affections. Now, I'm not suggesting that contentment simply comes from saying no to something. As we talk about all the time, no simply frees us up to say, to say something yes, to say yes to something even greater. And as I said, we'll get to that later in the series, but I, I wanted to raise the flag of resistance in week one to get our attention. Because I so believe that much of our trouble is fueled by, by the ubiquitous nature of, of like this device in our hand and the screens on the walls and the industries that fuel us. I thought that I'd give you a few suggestions about where you might begin in this resistance movement this summer. And uh, I'm gonna use some technology metaphors, a couple of these suggestions anyway. The first suggestion, click unsubscribe. <laughs> click unsubscribe. You know what I mean when I say that. Stop letting a parade of advertisers who know how to fuel your disordered loves get so close to your personal space that they have your ear and your attention every time you open that device. Click unsubscribe. In the old days, I used to say, throw the catalogs out before they get into the house. Because once they're in, they're in. You don't need to know what the flash sale at your favorite clothing store is every single day. <laughs> Click unsubscribe. You don't need to scroll through a series of 100 or 1,000 pictures of the perfect eyebrow. I didn't know this was a thing until I had girls in my house. <laughs> the perfect lip color. Click unsubscribe. You don't need to know about the latest model or the newest toy or the biggest house. Click unsubscribe. Figure out what is fueling your disordered love and unsubscribe from it. Silence its voice. Shut it out. It is the ultimate act of resistance. 
Number two, power down. Unplug and give yourself time to reflect. We have lost the art of thinking about our lives in this world. And I would suggest that we need to pull the plug entirely from the clamoring noise of all kinds of things from time to time. Stop watching TV. Stop listening to the radio. Stop flipping through Facebook. Turn your devices off entirely for a season. Now, the summertime is a wonderful time to, to, to change up the pace a bit, to, to stop an old habit and to start something new. Maybe many of you will find yourselves varying your habits anyway. You find yourself at a lake or sitting by the ocean or outside by the pool. You often have a few more moments to think, to reflect, to consider. Can I suggest you give yourself some time somewhere every single week where you unplug and reflect. Pull out a notebook, grab a scrap of paper, or even just a quieted mind. And ask yourself a few pointed questions, questions like this. Think about the things that are driving your life in a frenzied place. What is it that when you get anxious is making you anxious? It's probably a clue to something deeper. Is there a disordered love in that? Are there more important things in life that you should be loving more that you find yourself apathetic about? Maybe there's a disordered love in there. Are there steps that you could take to order these things more properly? So unsubscribe, unplug, and then number three has nothing at all to do with technology. Worship deeply. Worship deeply. Now this one might surprise you as something that I consider a move of resistance in our world, but it absolutely is. Worshiping is an essential practice for reordering our disordered lives. Weekly worship allows us to sing and have our spirits filled with messages that are subversive to systems of this world, with messages that, that call us to reorder the things in our lives that are out of whack. And it says we worship corporately that we find a, a movement of resistance against these things. Men and women who share our desire to live rightly, to speak words of affirmation about the value and worthiness of God to remind ourselves about the smallness and pettiness of so many other loves and the bombarding messages of the world. I believe it's in prayer that we can share and receive the depth of the living waters that God has so graciously opened up to us that actually do provide us soul satisfaction and life peace, where we find ourselves most deeply satisfied and most centered and content in life. Unsubscribe, unplug, worship deeply. Let's live the resistance, vive la resistance as we live as followers of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your overwhelming invitation to come to you, those of us who are weary 
and heavy burden, that we can find rest, that we can take on you, on ourselves, your yoke, and learn from you. We are humble and gentle of heart and spirit. And when we do so, we can find amazing rest for our souls, the deep joy for which we've been made, and the love that you have for us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.